for this time together to sing of you, to worship you, Lord, to fellowship. What a blessing we have as the body of Christ. You've now put us together with a family that will never, ever be separated for all of eternity. We'll enjoy the blessings of the forever family of God. And Lord, we give us a little taste of that each Sundays and Wednesdays and times we gather, Lord. We get a taste of being with one another and enjoying our Savior and the truth of God's Word, Lord. But Lord, we do, as we've sang many times this morning, we do long for your return. And we pray for you to come, Lord, come quickly. But Lord, while we wait, will we be busy about your business, serving you, fulfilling our gifts and and serving one another as we bring glory to you and edify the church. Lord, we thank you for a passage like today in 1 Corinthians 12 that we've sat down in to understand this role of gifts that are given and even the abuse of them at times. Lord, it it helps us serve you, Lord. Father, before we close this prayer and teach, we want to remember those who are not here today. There are many sick, Lord, who are going through some kind of illness, Lord. There's others that are Oh, just struggling with health and cannot get out in public anymore. And so we thank you that many are watching online. We ask that you would heal them, Lord, give them strength, teach them great things about you, cause us to be mindful of them, Lord. Now, Lord, as we turn to your word, we pray that it would grip our hearts. We would be different people, changed more like your son when we leave this room. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I don't know any elders that don't love helping people find their gifts and serve the Lord. I think one of the joys that pastors have is the constant ministry that we have with the body of Christ to help them find what God has for them. Uh, you know, we, we, we can get to where we're good sermon listeners, and there's a whole church full of those people, but not much will get done if that's uh, all that's done. And so we enjoy spending time with brothers and sisters and uh, working with you, helping you discover what God has gifted you with to serve the Lord. Now, there's also an opposite problem of that, and this is a little bit, mostly what this passage is about, this last section, is there's those who want to serve in areas where God has not called them. (laughs) And that can be challenging, uh, especially when you have someone who's pretty adamant about their gifts and that they should be doing this and everybody else should part the sea and let them go through. We've had this in Many occasions through the years, I remember several men who just, just believed with their entire hearts that they were preachers or teachers or some forth, and of course nobody else believed that, and they had struggled underneath their teaching. Uh, so several times we actually set up uh, times for them to teach to leadership, just to try to help them realize that their gift sets laid in other places. And in fact, uh, there's two situations, two, two situations that I can remember that both of those men that I took through that process, they had such tremendous gifts in mercy and care and helps uh, in other areas. Uh, and we, we were trying to redirect them there, but it was so difficult. They desired a more, what some would call a prominent gift, and it It led to great discouragement to them. And so as we go to this passage, we begin to realize that Paul is trying to show the leadership, particularly some of these who are desiring prominent positions within the church of Corinth, that they're after things that God had not given them. And so there becomes a stronger rebuke towards the end of this passage. Now, most of our Bibles don't show a paragraph break between verses 20 and 21, but, but I believe Paul is making a slight change here. 
I think he has introduced the subject matter that he was concerned with um, the, the flock, not realizing that, look, um, if God's called you to be a toe, be a really good toe. And he's really worked hard at that with them, right? If you're an ear, be a great ear, do those things. But now he is turning his attention to those who are desiring these superior gifts. And, and I'm going to prove to you that there were those that were after the apostolic gifts that God had not given to them. It was causing great division and great factions within the church. Now, I believe this section displays what we could call a spiritual, prideful condition of some of these prominent leaders in the Corinth church. In these last set of verses, you're going to watch Paul attempt to convince them that their desire for prominence is hurting the unity of the church. And yet they desired that fleshly. Anytime we get out of what God has called you and I to do, and we desire what God has called someone else to do, we'll have great problems. And this is what has been te- uh, taking place in the church of Corinth. Now, I want to give you a couple of thoughts. First one being this, and it's right out of Matthew 19, 6, and I'll explain this. What God has joined together, let no one separate. Now, uh, obviously, that comes from Matthew and Jesus' teaching on sanctity of marriage, right? We know that. But it's also a topic of oneness, right? What God has joined together, he makes one. And this is why we know that divorce is so damaging because two people that God has made one are now split and there's, there's forever damage there, right? We know that. And so this is why God hates divorce. This is why we work very hard. God certainly allows for divorce for certain things are clearly marked in the scriptures. But we we know he loves oneness. And when I study the doctrine of the church, ecclesiology, what I hear over and over from the scriptures is oneness. He wants us to be one. And he does not want us to be divided. And so now we, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are the incarnate body of Christ. Christ has resurrected. He he is now at the right hand of the Father. Now we represent the body of Christ of Christ, and we are to function as one. And we spoke about this much, where the arms and legs, where the ears and noses, where where this functioning, moving body of Christ, that's the picture we see in 1 Corinthians uh, 12 here. We see this in, in Romans chapter 12 as well. This is the functioning oneness of the body. But there was a problem in Corinth. And Paul, listen, Paul loved this church. It is clear he loves them. He is extremely patient with them. But he knows what's causing this this factions and this problems within this church. And he's desiring to get them back to Christ-centeredness. And so he's working on helping them distinguish what the gifts are, what belongs to apostles, what doesn't belong to them, and how they can serve one another and bring God glory. Now, let's look at some of these verses as we work our way down through this. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. And again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Now, up to this point, I believe Paul has been attempting to encourage those who deem their ministries as maybe less significant. He's been encouraging them, look, it's okay to be the foot. I know you feel stood on, right? But it's a very, very important part of the body, right? You take away a foot, you're in trouble, right? And so up to this point, he's been doing that. He's been trying to help them understand the equality of ministry through the illustration of the body. 
But now, look what he's doing now. He's turning his attention to the other side of the equation. And even in his example, he does this. The eye, which would be a more prominent one, one that is decorated and glitters and the eyes are beautiful, aren't they? He turns to that and says, look, if you're an eye, you cannot say to a lesser, which you at least deem lesser part of the body, oh, hey, I don't need you. And so he's turning the tables now. He's turning the equation. And it seems like those who had these more prominent gifts within the Corinth church were looking down on those who had what they deemed lesser gifts. Now, in their prominence, they possibly thought that their gifts were so good that they didn't need anybody else. Hey, look, just step aside. We got this, right? But Paul's He's taking them through these illustrations, right, of this eye relationship to the hand and the head's relation to the feet to help drive this point home. And he's reminding this Corinth church, these men and women that probably are seeking a prominence in some way, that just because one member of the body executes their gift well, it does not mean that the others are not necessary. And you see this in this text. And whenever the church gets to the point where there's just a few ministries that are exalted, this Christocentric, God-glorifying testimony of the church begins to fall away. Now, look how Paul drives this point home in verse 22. On the contrary. That's a good phrase, right? He's showing you the other side of the coin here. On the contrary. It is much better that the members of the body which seem to be weaker, are necessary. Now, see, Paul places a very positive spin on this, right? He's, this is a rebuke. I mean, this last section is a real rebuke, and, uh, and I promise you can't get around it. Particularly in the original language, you start to see that he's rebuking him, but Paul, because he loves his church, has a, a, a beautiful way and a positive way to help them see this. Now, notice he says, on the contrary, I looked at this in the Greek, and it really could be translated as well. But even more so, he might be saying here, turning their attention to this. Not, not only can the body not function, I want, I want you to get this, people, Paul's saying here, without these other members. But Paul's reminding them that even those who are deemed the weakest members, he, look what he says, is absolutely necessary. Now, he uses a Greek word that we translate weak or feeble here. I'm not sure what translation you have. The word gives the idea, and is often translated this way within the Bible, as helpless. It's even translated as sick, unimpressive, weak, or feeble. That's the word he uses. Paul says this. It must, no, notice he says, which seem to be weaker. That's our word there. And so interesting enough he uses a word that emphasizes that members, that, that they may not have much to offer, right? And, I, and I've met with so many people, said, Pastor, I'm in a wheelchair, I'm this, I'm that, I, I'm sick, I don't have this. It seems outwardly that, that, they're, that they're so weak that what, what can they do? And Paul's, Paul's pointing this out. He's showing that there's a contrary thought to that. And Paul does not want to speak to them as, as members of churches that patronize them. He, he wants them to know that they are a welcome addition to the church no matter what their role is. Now, notice he chooses this word 
that we often translate necessary. See that at the end of the verse there? They're necessary. Uh, some translations use the word indispensable. So these weaker, sick, even feeble people, Paul is saying are absolutely, indispensably necessary for the church. Now, society struggles with this as well, right? They love the prominence, right? They love great positions. They love all that until the garbage workers go on strike, right? You've seen it in New York. They're you know, garbage stacked up and everybody's mad and, you know. See, it's so easy to love prominent positions. And Paul is after this. He, know, he knows there's no place in this for the church. It causes factions. It, it takes away from the glory of Christ. And it causes the church to be at odds. And so again, we see that the Apostle Paul is exposing why there's fractions here. And he's showing the indispensable need of the body of Christ to serve one another. Now, look at verses 23 through the beginning of 24. Now, those members of the body, which we deem less honorable, of these we bestow, bestow more abundant honor. And our less presentable members become much more presentable, whereas our more presentable members have no need of it. Now, as we get to this section, we begin to see where Paul is mentioning these weaker members again. He's using the analogy of the body. He's, it's, it's such a great analogy, right? Such a great word picture. We can see our hands and, and our body parts and all those things, and it makes sense. But then he says... He honors what, deems, what is deemed weak. He, he honors those as honorable members, though they may be seen as unpresentable parts. Then he recognizes the more prominent members. So, so there's, a, there's a pattern he's doing here. He's mentioning the weaker members using the analogy of the body. He's honoring the weaker members. And then he turns to the more prominent ones. Now, notice he uses this phrase, we bestow. Um, the word here means to put on something, to dress it up, to place around it. It's often, this word was often characterized with dressing something with clothing, right? And look, there's nothing better than a well-fitted suit or a well-fitted dress to hide certain things that we really don't want people to see, <laughs> right? Um, you know, it's, I think I look okay in this suit, but uh, believe me, there are certain things I'm covering <laughs> because those don't need to be seen. But they have a great role, don't they? And that's what Paul's trying to do here. And Paul is saying that we honor those body parts by carefully dressing them in a way that makes them presentable. So we find people who are serving the church. We honor them in a, in a right way. Some people... I mean, I've asked people, hey, will you come up on the stage and share your testimony with me? I'll be there. I never want to be up there. Please don't make me go up there. We, we honor them in that way because they have a role that's much different than maybe one who is in the prom more prominent positions. So our unpresentable parts are treated with great modesty and honor, right? Let me say this tactfully uh, as we think about this part of the text. Who in this room does not appreciate the correct function of your God-given plumbing? I really appreciate it. That's when you're overseas, <laughs> you're traveling, all kinds of things. You really appreciate those things, don't you? 
God has a great role. And, and, and what plumbing, when plumbing doesn't work, I'm telling you, it bothers your whole body, doesn't it? And so these parts are very important, and that's Paul's point. We're not whole without them. We need even the things that we cannot see that are not maybe presentable to all others to function right. And when they don't, we struggle. See, he's giving graphic illustrations. Look at the beginning of verse 24 again there. He says, whereas the more presentable members have no need of it. See, Paul does not mention whatever members those are. He doesn't even actually give a body part to this. But he may be referring to something as prominent as a person's face, right? It needs no covering. And look, I I know for a fact that our our, our pastors, let let me say this very carefully. We really appreciate your love on us on, in October for the pastor appreciation. We, we really do. But to tell you the truth, it's, it feels uncomfortable. Uh, we know we have a calling and we, 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 we have prominent positions within the church because God has placed us there to serve and care and shepherd and lead and all those things. We... We love to honor the unseen ministries, right? You, you hear that out of us. You'll hear us speak often about things like chair ministry. I love those guys. They're always here on Saturday mornings, and I get to come in and study, and I always poke my head usually in and just greet them and, and just appreciate them. See, see, we love to honor those, and I'm trying to give you some real illustrations of what I think Paul's talking about. We love to honor children's ministry and nursery ministries, right? Somebody is down holding somebody's baby, down there, and that baby could be crying the whole time so that you can hear God's word. Isn't that beautiful? We think about those things, those who serve in those ways. Yesterday, we had our foot care ministry going on, and a, a group of just gifted, kind, mostly young people, college and career type people, are down there caring for people and trying to help them in a way that most people may not really be able to think they can do. I think this is what Paul's doing. Greeters and safe ministry people. There, you know, we have a whole team of, of people who are watching and keeping us safe in here. And you don't even know who they are. We have kitchen ministries who have just been working overtime lately and giving us the great meals we've had. Shut-in ministries. Think about deacons, the ministers of mercy. That's what a deacon is. He's a minister of mercy. He has to be a merciful man and look to people and, and first think mercy, not judgment. That's why they are, right? And so we have these people, and there's ministries of helps and, and so forth. The list goes on and on, and none of those ministries are on stage, are they? See, I think this is what Paul's doing. He's highlighting that the Corinth church had reversed what was important to God. They push it out front. And does that happen today in so many of the churches that we see televangelists and some of the wild churches are going, man, those leaders are exalted as demigods. That's not what God wants. He wants these ministries that are less seen to be honored. See, I don't think you can have a true church without them. We don't have a true church without the ministries of mercy and helps and giving and all the things that God calls the church to have. But but notice here that Paul brings God to the center of the conversation. He's refocusing our thoughts here. Look at verse 24, halfway through it. But God, 
<laughs> I love that. When I see that, it circles that stuff in my Bible. Because he's, he's refocusing me, right? Because I'm here thinking, well, boy, am I taking advantage of my prominent ministry? I'm thinking, how, what, how do I honor these people? And all of a sudden, Paul goes, but God. I go, okay, he's, he's bringing me back to the author of this, right? He says, but God, look at this, has so composed the body, giving more abundant honor to that member which lacked. Now, he uses this adversive conjunction to transition our thoughts, get us back, right? And so Paul's reminding us again, God composes the body. It's his divine plan, not ours. And I think he's just reemphasizing what he said in chapter 12, verse 11 and 18, that the Spirit gives gifts. God divinely and sovereignly gives us gifts. We don't say, you know, I don't want that one. I want this one. God does that. Now, notice the phrase that follows this, given more abundant honor. And so this main verb is passive here. And so it reminds us that God's doing this. God is giving you your gift. And it may be a prominent gift. It may be a behind the scenes gift. Whatever it is, God's given it to you. It's passive. He gives it to you. You don't choose it. And God always knows best, doesn't he? He's the one that determines our giftedness. Look, think about this. It is God who determines how we are going to bring him the most glory. You know, he started that with you in the womb. He chose your gender. I think it's really important you stick to what God chose in your gender. I think that's extremely important. See, this is what God does. He doesn't make mistakes. He's perfect in all that he does. And so when he chooses for us our gifts to serve the Lord, we should not balk at that or sit on the sideline because we don't like whatever gift God has given us. This is not what he's done. I, I love this idea of giving abundant honor to those things because God did them. See, I want to honor what God does. I want to seek out what he's doing and honor that. And so it's, it's for, for us elders, us pastors, we find great joy in honoring our nursery workers, our children's workers, our chair setters up, our greeters, our call, those who call in the shut-ins, I mean, and so forth, all so many ministries that people don't see. It, it just brings God abundant honor, and God loves to honor that. Now, though we as pastors often seek to honor that less seen ministry, I just, I don't want you to miss this. It is actually God who's honoring them. So, so let me say this again. We are only recognizing what God has done. So when I point out men who faithfully come here and do chair ministries or faithful people who go call on the shut-ins or whatever it may be, I am only recognizing what God is doing. And you respond to it. Now, Notice the sovereign connection in this verse. When we go back to verse 25 here, it's, there's a sovereign connection in this verse. See, God did not, listen, I want you to think through this. God did not consult somebody when he created Adam and Eve. Well, let's see, I got to create them in our image. Uh, boy, hmm. I'm going to have to try to figure this out. I've got to dial a friend. He didn't consult anybody. He doesn't need to consult anybody. And so God does not need to consult anybody to build the spiritual body of Christ. He gives you, in his perfection, what he wants you to do to glorify him. Now notice the result of this, that tells us 
here in verse 25 that there's this perfect harmony and there's unity. It blends the body together and it begins to function and exalts God as we serve one another. And so he says there's no division. The word is schisms, right? No, there's no schisms because we're doing things God's way. And then he uses this same care, this word. See that in the text? It's an interesting word. The, the, the word itself means, is often translated worry or anxiety or great concerns. But Paul's using it in a positive way. This creates unity through love. And listen to this, admiration. We admire people who serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And we admire, admire them in a good thing. Somebody one time came to our church and said, well, I just don't get why you guys clap after songs. I'll tell you why we clap after songs. Because the truth that was in that song. Yes, we're grateful for a gifted band to help lead us, but we clap at truth. That's what motivates us. Wow, that was good. Magnify Christ in my life. Yeah, hey, praise the Lord, right? So it creates admiration for truth, right? That's what good gifts do. Look at verse 26 with me. And if, any, if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. If one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now, here we find this, what I would call a statement of results, right? Suffering and honor are a mark of unity. And so if someone's suffering or someone's being honored, the church unites around that. Right? This sounds like Romans 12, 15, doesn't it? We weep with those who reap and we rejoice with those who rejoice. It's consistent through Paul's teaching, right? And so there's this beautiful unity that even comes in. We have members that are going through cancer treatment. Some are going through difficult challenges. We suffer with them, don't we? Meals are dropped off. Phone calls are made. Cards are sent. I hear this stuff all the time that goes on within this church. Because you're suffering with them. And when you hear that someone is honored in some way, that God has honored them for serving in the way they serve, and he's been glorified by them, man, you sit and clap and you enjoy that, don't you? See, that's unity. That's what the church is supposed to be doing. Now, we know that we are unified when the whole body suffers, right? We know that. And look, pain throughout the body affects the rest of the body, doesn't it? You know that, right? And there's no peace there when there's pain. If my back is hurt, my ears hurt, right? (laughs) I mean, back pain or or intestinal pain or whatever it may be, it affects all of those things. But when one part of the body is honored, I want you to catch this. The entire body, look at it says here, is not honored, but the entire body rejoices. Isn't that interesting? When there's pain, we all suffer. But when there's someone honored, we are joyful with them. We, not, we, not, we may not receive the honor, but that person does. And so it's easy to experience that joy with them. So I think that the key here is that Paul is not saying we share in the honor of it, but we share in the rejoicing of it. And Paul's choice of words emphasize the impossibility to be jealous to have rivalries within the church of uh, the body of Jesus Christ. He says it's impossible when we work as one. Now, he's really going to start to drive home his point here on the longing for gifts that are not yours. So here's my second thought. The danger of seeking desired gifts versus the gifting of the Spirit. There's a real danger in that. And I shared some of that examples of men who desired a certain gift, but 
uh, it was so evident, not only from the leadership of the church, but the people who kind of suffered under their teaching, that this was not their gift. And yet, so often, they push so hard to gain something that God has not given, and it creates all kinds of problems. And usually, they get their feelings hurt, and they leave the church, and all kinds of problems, and oh, it's just exhausting. What has God given you, and are you willing to pursue that? Notice verse 27 with me. Now, you are Christ's body. This is a very important little phrase here, and syntactical structure is very important. Now, you are Christ's body. He's pointing some, a group out, right? Particularly the Corinth church and individual members of it. This you is emphatic, right? He's driving this point home for the Corinth church, and he calls them Christ's body. And there's no article here. So, so what we believe is Paul's now targeting the believers of Corinth church. He's trying to focus in on them. Paul's placing a strong emphasis on the fact that they, the Corinthians, are members of nothing less than Christ's body. Do you understand the significance of that church? See, I don't think they do. They're, they're, so, they're so caught up on who's doing this and who's following this guy and who has this gift and who's speaking in tongues and all this other stuff. They're caught up in all that and they're forgetting what they are. They're the body of Christ. And so he's bringing that emphasis back to that. They're individual parts. They're made up of, to be the local body of Christ. It's such a good question for us, church. When our church is viewed, does it resemble the incarnate body of Christ? Do they see our hands and arms and feet and eyes and all those things working, functioning as one as we present the gospels, we share the gospels, we live the gospel, and we minister mercy to one another? Is that something that's seen within us? So I think Paul's desire is that each one of them in Corinth here understand they belong to the body and all of those parts make up the whole. Now, look what he does in verse 28. And God has appointed, now look at this, in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helps, administration, various kinds of tongues. Now, notice that the article returns back in this opening phrase. God has appointed in the church. Now, here what he's doing, he's moving to the larger context of the universal church. Follow me here. They're desiring gifts that were only given to the apostles. He now brings them to that view of what that looks like. He's bringing them to the universal church. And all of Paul's instruction on the placement of gifted individuals within the body of the local church are now applied to God's sovereign direction over the, the universal church. And so he's helping them see that there's a difference here. And when you study this verse, you begin to understand that Paul was making it clear that in the early church, God divinely appointed gifted individuals to lead the church in unique and extraordinary ways that were going to phase out in time. And yet they were after those things. And he did not want them to pursue things in their human wisdom. Now, in these verses, it seems God is placing a greater responsibility and position on those who were part of the beginning of that universal church in the first century here. And you'll see this as we work our way down here. And he focuses on, on this universal church, and Paul starts doing this by numbering these sequential gifts, right? And, and it is almost a rank of importance here. We see the same thing happening in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Apostles and prophets and teachers and so forth, right? 
And so he, he says first, and then second, and then third. Then he moves to using this word then to acknowledge the rest of these gifts. So he's trying to help them realize you're pursuing something God hasn't given you. And it's causing all kinds of problems. We see this today. Some guy, and I'm not going to mention any names because they're awful close, all of a sudden come out and say, well, I'm an apostle now. I'm an apostle. I'm getting direct revelation. I don't know how they deal with Jesus, seeing him and walking with his ministry and resurrecting and all that, but they seem to get around that. And they begin to pursue something God hasn't given them, and they lead the church astray. Now, notice the first three gifts here. I think he's highlighting by number, right? And, I, and here's what I believe as I've studied this. All these other gifts are in insubordination to those first three. Now, obviously, there are lots of other gifts, Romans and Ephesians and 1 Peter all recognize as the church grows. But these gifts are lifted here because they're obvious problems with the Corinth church. They're struggling with their relationship to the apostles. And you go, Scott, how do you know this? Read the book. Read the letter. He's going to get into the deep struggles they have with the apostles. In the second letter, he has to go into even further details because they're pursuing apostolic positions that they don't have. And so now he's trying to bring them back to this. So many of these gifts will fade away, right, as we look at this with the completion of the scriptures. Now we have a complete manual, right? God does not have to speak in tongues where everybody hears in their own language. I have on my app on my phone, uh, what's it called? Google Translate. And so we would say, we didn't know how to speak Arabic, so we would say what we want, and, it, and then we'd hand it to them. Oh, and they go get what we need. I mean, it's amazing what we have, not let alone our Bibles. If you go back and see my brother George sitting on his lap is an Arabic Bible right there, Dr. MacArthur Bible in Arabic. Isn't that amazing? See, God has completed our our manuscripts, and so we have all that we need. And so many of these things will fade away, but what Paul is trying to do, he's highlighting the importance of those things. And I think it's important to recognize that these greater gifts were pointing to the apostles. Now, I do think it's important that you recognize that tongues is last on the list here. And I think this is why Paul tackles it so, so aggressively in chapter 14. And we'll do the same. We're going to look at tongues very deeply when we get to chapter 14. Now, this list is extremely important to the early church when you study this. Here is a group of men. Now think about this. They're given the important titles of apostle. I mean, what a title. And, and, and there's, there's, only, there's only certain things that they have to do to be able to be an apostle. And it really limits the group, right? Number one, they had to have personal contact with the Lord Jesus while he was on earth. Well, that eliminates the guy down the street. <laughs> you know, or whoever is claiming to be an apostle nowadays. They had to be with Jesus while he ministered on the earth. Second, they had to witness him after his resurrection. Again, we know that's a narrow group. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians that somewhere around 500 and a few of the apostles saw him. This is a small group, isn't it? Third, they they were appointed directly by Jesus himself to this office. Not, not by somebody else, not by a church or somebody else. They were appointed to the apostolic position by Christ himself. And then fourthly, God uniquely gifted them for this special role in the early church until the completion of the scriptures. Now we know that this group of men included the 11 disciples plus 
Matthias, and, and possibly some believe Barnabas, James, the brother of Christ. Others would include Idronicus and, and Junus and some men that maybe weren't named in that first century of the New Testament. Um, but certainly include the Apostle Paul and end it with John being the last who outlived them all. These men were granted, think about this, they're granted special authority to do things that very few could else do, and yet this is exactly what the, the Corinth leaders are trying to get. I, I still am amazed, and I think it's so fun, and that's why I tell you, don't be scared of the book of Acts and reading what God was doing when you have a right context, because these men were the mouthpiece of the Lord. I mean, that's pretty amazing. Everything they... Not everything, but much of what they spoke and wrote was, was given to them by God. This was tremendous inspiration. And they're particularly key to the expansion of the gospel. It was completely necessary, but, but not necessary that they were tied to one church. The, the apostles oversaw all of the ministry of the universal church. And so these apostles were dowed with, with many and perhaps most of the spiritual gifts in this list in 1 Corinthians 12. And, but particularly we saw, as we've gone through this, many of them had the gift of miracles and healings. Many of them spoke in tongues, languages, as they displayed their God-given gifts. The gift of prophecy and teaching, they're tightly connected to that apostolic gift. But, but not all prophets were apostles. We know that. But let me tell you this. They, those prophets and those teachers, were, were in submission to the apostles. Even Paul and Barnabas, what did they do when they came back? They went to the elders and they downloaded, debriefed to them what was going on and looked for instructions of how to handle certain issues. Look, any true prophet would have been closely associated with the apostles. And yet, this is what they were after. When you think about teaching, I love that aspect because it really kind of fills in what we do a little bit. I think that's certainly still a gift that God gives the church. This is a vital role of the apostles, though. The apostles taught. They taught. They taught the truth of God's word that was revealed to them. They took the Old Testament and understood the Christocentric nature of the Old Testament and pointed it all to the Lord Jesus Christ. But teachers particularly were men who were, were seeking to preach the truth that they had learned from the apostles. And that's what Paul says to Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Take the things you've heard from me, find faithful men, teach it to them so they'll teach others. See how that works? But that was not what was happening in Corinth. They loved the prominent position of teaching. They desired their own, their own inspiration to give to the people, and Paul is after them for that. Now, after listing the apostles and prophets and teachers, Paul seems, uh, he doesn't seem to speak much about the person exercising his gifts, but he speaks about the gifts themselves. Notice there's a few here that we haven't seen. He adds gifts like helps. Now, I think this points to the general function of assisting those in need, right? I think that's a gift people still have today. There are people in this church that simply have the gift to help. We watch it all the time. Uh, case in point, Friday night, just, uh, you know, we have 1,000 people plus on campus uh, of just a great outreach and, and time for our church and school family just to be together. And you watch the people who served. It was amazing. I talked to Troy about it yesterday, and he said, yeah, things just came down really good. There were so many people serving, and it just was fairly quick when we were all done. People are serving the gift of help. See, this is a function I think all believers had, but the apostles had it. The apostles were helpful to people. 
They helped people. That's what they did. Administrative gift here, the idea is management here, and the word is used as someone who steers a ship, even in dangerous waters here. And so this was certainly a function of the apostles. Thinking about that, uh, an administrative gift was so important. You have the church exploding. The church in Rome's taken off. The church in Corinth has taken off. And Ephesus and Philippi and all, out, all in, in southern Asia. It's, it's just moving, right? God is drawing people to himself through the message of the gospel. There has to be administrative. So Paul says things like this. Titus, go to Crete. Establish elders in every city. It's administrative, isn't it? Don't let them flounder. They need people that are oversight. They need care. They need shepherds in their life. And so there's this administrative goal to these, to these apostles that they have. And yet, listen, even though that's a gift given to the apostles and recognized here, many men and women who even serve in this church have this gift of administration. And they're a great blessing. They assist us in so many things. Now, the list that's given here... Um, it was not given to bolster the position of the apostles. I don't think Paul is given this list like, you know, hey, back off, Corinthian guy, this is us. I don't think that's what he's doing. I think he's doing this to show that even within um, this uh, apostolic position and leadership, there's great diversity. James was not like Paul, and Paul was not like Barnabas, right? And John was not like Bartholomew. I mean, they were different men, weren't they? With different gifts used by God for the planting and the furtherance of the gospel and the establishing of Jesus Christ's church along the world. And so I think one of the things he's doing in this passage, he's showing even within the apostolic position, there was a diversity of gifts to bring unity to the church. Do you see that? That's what he's doing. He's trying to help us get this. Now, look at verse 29 through 30, and I think he drives his point home with these. Not all are apostles, are they? Not all are prophets, are they? All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, are they? All do not have a gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, languages, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Here, he asks seven rhetorical questions that all require a negative response, not negative like you think, but the response is, what? No. <laughs> See, when you have a group of people who are super prideful and they're all after one prominent gift, Paul has to tell them in chapter 14, hey, if you're going to prophesy, at least stand in line and take turns. I mean, that's how prideful they had gotten. So, so they're, because they're after the prominent gifts that actually belong to the apostles, they're after something that wasn't even theirs. So Paul's trying to show them there's diversity even within the apostles. Now, since the requirement for the apostolic office only fits this narrow group of men that had seen Jesus, uh, he had been revealed to them, he had seen, him, seen Jesus after resurrection, they were directly appointed by him, Paul fills all of that. We, we know Paul is trying to encourage the believers to pursue their gifts in a greater way. So look what he says in verse 31. But earnestly desire the greater gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. I think Paul has repeatedly pointed to the fact that the believer does not choose or seek their own gift, but the gifts are divinely appointed to them. We believe that. And yet Paul uses a strong indicative here. And I think here's what he's doing. I think we, we may misinterpret this in some ways. I think he's pointing to the fact that 
You should not be pursuing the gifts of the apostles and prophets and teachers. You should be pursuing the gift God has given you. He uses this word earnestly desire. Zulu is the word here. It's often used for coveting and jealousness and envy. And the problem was the Corinthians were desiring the greater gifts that belong to the apostles, not that belong to them. And so he comes at them. And here's way I think many translate this verse in a way I would translate this verse. I would translate this. But you are zealous for the greater gifts. It's a rebuke. Look at that verse with me again. But the earnestly would be a second plural there. But you, we'd put that word you in it. But you, here's your problem. See, he's saying, look, not all apostles, have, not all our apostles, not all our prophets, not all our teachers, not all our workers and millers, not all our healers, not all our speaking in tongues, not all our interpret, not all of this, but you, you're desiring these gifts. That's what he's saying here. We're telling you that we don't even have all these gifts, but you're after what God has not given you. And I think here's what he's doing, what's beautiful. He said, I'm going to show you a better way. Guess what it is? Chapter 13. Four letters. Starts with an L. Has a V in it. Thank you. That was a missing ingredient, wasn't it? We want to be like those guys where our handkerchief heals somebody. We want to speak and everybody hears in their own language. I didn't give you that gift. I gave you gifts of administration and helps and mercies, and those are important. If you don't do that, the church will fail. And so I think what this verse says to us is, but you desire the wrong gifts. You're after what God has not given to you. And so my goal is to teach you a greater way. And that's chapter 13, right? That's this love. And I mean, I know we all had it read in our, in our, in our um, weddings and maybe you have it cross-stitched on the wall, you know, chapter 13, the love chapter. And it's still wonderful and there's great application there, but it is about the church, and it's about our gifts and how we function in them. Well, I want to end with some very practical things. I thought through this long and hard. And I'm glad I didn't get to it last week because I think it will wind this chapter up really well. Number three, discovering and using your God-given gifts for his glory. I want to give you eight things just real quickly. You may need to write on the back there, but I want you to write these down. I, I think so many people get kind of lost in the weeds when we go through chapter 12 because there's a strong rebuke going on. There's a problem in the church. There's factions and all this stuff going on. But ultimately, God gives gifts to every believer, right? And so number one, write this down. Do I believe that God gives gifts to every believer? I think you better start right there. I think that's where it all starts. I, I, look, you say, well, Scott, you've been beating that drum for the last four weeks. Yeah, but you don't know how many often people come and say, Pastor, I, I just, I think God's getting me. <laughs> I, I've had people tell me that. I don't have, God just didn't give me any gifts, so I'm just going to sit here and hold down this seat. See, I think people, oh, yeah, yeah, we believe that. But, but if you really believe something, are you pursuing it? So to, to find your spiritual gift, you've got to believe that God gives them. Does he give them? Do you believe the Bible? Is, is verse 7 and 11 and 18 and, and God composes the body? Do you believe that? See, it starts there. 
First uh, Peter chapter four, verse 12, 10 says this, as each one has received, not only gives, you receive your special gifts from the spirit of God. And of course, the gifts are outlined. And, and, and look, we've been working on some of the foundational gifts that he gave, these apostolic and prophecies and teaching and knowledge and all those things. Those, many of these were, were completed with a canon, but some of these things are still there because t- Paul, uh, excuse me, Peter in his last words that we have inspired says, but now grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So, so that's not necessarily a gift. It's a command that you and I should be growing, right? But even within that, he gives gifts of authority to the apostles. He gave them healing and faith. But today, look, he gives measures of faith. I said this not too long ago. I think God gave Josh and Victoria Brown a measure of faith to live in such a way to care for Grayson and walk through that, those four years. And then the Lord took him home. And I think he gave them a measure of faith to do that. And he gives you a measure of faith. And it might be in your marriage. It might be in your finances. He gives you that so you can trust him. These are gifts, and, 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 and yet we see them as part of this apostolic range as well, right? He gives the gifts of evangelism, teaching, preaching, exhor- exhortation, right? But these continue today. So fun to watch people in our church sharing the gospel with others. Bobby told me this morning that they're about halfway through the baskets. You know, we're delivering over 100 baskets to homes, most of which are not in our church. And men and women are carrying those baskets in the home and they're sharing the gospel. We're here not only to give you physical food, but we have even a greater food we want to share with you. Do you want to do that? You say, well, Scott, that's not my gift. (laughs) I got a point for that here in a minute. It might be. (laughs) They're serving gifts. Think about this, like helps. We talked about that this morning, these ministries, right? Showing mercy. That's a diaconate, right? But you don't have to be a deacon to show mercy. There's there's gifts of of giving. Think about this. There was a point Gina and I were so broke we couldn't even pay attention. (laughs) And God raised up people to minister to us in those early years of ministry. I met a man, he gave me such a gift that it was so large. And, and I said, his name was Paul. I said, Paul, I can't take this. He goes, look, are you refusing for me to exercise my gift to meet a need God has put on my heart? I learned a great lot about gifting at that point. That people have that gift, they give, right? There's administrative gifts, there's living, leading gifts, there's hospitality gifts, there's gifts of loving, just loving people. Just loving them. And I love you who just love people. You're, you're really fun to be around. I, I necessarily don't always have that gift, it seems like at times, but I watch people who just love people. And what comes with that is the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. See, all these gifts are ministered through the manifold grace of God, Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10. Are you, so, so let me start, go back to this. Are you convinced that God has given you gifts? Because it's a little quieter this time. <laughs> because we say it, but do we believe it? Has God given me a gift? Second one, then I can move a little faster here. Do you have a deep love for Christ and his word? I think this is a really dividing point here. 
So there's a lot of people who go, well, you know, Scott's ranting and raving on gifts. Better find out what I'm going to do because, you know, there I'm here. I better out and greet somebody or, you know, clean up something. You can do that. And a lot of people do those things. But let me tell you, what this point is about is the motivation behind our serving. Without a deep love for Christ, self-will will dominate your desires. They'll push you into an area. Self will just say, well, you know, Scott, that's, uh, I think I'll go do this, get, get him off my back. See, you've got to be captured by Christ. See, so we're constantly learning to love him with all our what? Our heart, soul, mind, you know, all our strength, right? That's, what, that's a constant battle, right? And so we have to learn to love Jesus. You won't find your gift. You won't exercise it correctly if you don't love our Savior. Look, I think there's people who appreciate Jesus. Boy, I really appreciate him going to the cross for me. Thanks. Do you love him? That means you accept what he's given you. You'll never find what God has for you if you don't love him. And look, brothers and sisters, friend in this room, ask Jesus to help you love him. I've had to ask that question many times. Lord, will you help me love you more than these? A lot of these in our life, isn't there? Bills, health, people. Lord, help me love you more than these. So you have to be captured by him. Do you love his word? It's the source of all wisdom and knowledge, right? You've got to love that. If not, you will not find this. If you don't have a deep love for Christ, you'll just appreciate him and you'll find yourself floundering. Is his glory and grace still amazing to you? Does it provoke your service? Is it, is it something you want to honor the Lord because he honored you by rescuing you? A dead person, dead in your sins, no spiritual heart, heartbeat. God made you alive in Christ. Pastor Brian's been challenging us on Colossians chapter 3. Christ, it says, Christ is our life. What a statement. You want to find your gift? Make Christ your life. He won't do it. Setting, seeking, things above, right? All, all of that helps you find. And I think so many people don't find their spiritual gift and serve the Lord, and they're miserable. They're not happy Christians because they're not seeking Christ. It's so easy. And, I, and look, I'm, I'm trying not to be too judgmental here. But there's a reason people say that 10% of the people do, all the, do 90% of the work. Do you love Christ? Third, it takes prayer. Prayer is an important ingredient to discover your gift. Paul told the Corinthians in chapter 14, verse 12, that you're zealous for spiritual gifts. You see, they're zealous. Well, zealous, what zealous comes with is you realize, God, I am, you're the one who gives the gifts if it's left to me, I'm going to pick the one I like. So I'm going to pray and ask you to show me what gift you have for me. You have to pray. You have not because you did not ask. You did not ask for the wisdom to understand what God has for us. And so, so pray without ceasing. Pray for wisdom. Pray for discernment. Pray for a right heart. Pray for the will of God. You've got to pray forth. Seek help to discover Maybe start with this, your natural gifting. I, I think we all have natural gifting. Spiritual gifting and natural gifting are not necessarily always the same, but 
In many cases, the Spirit will take our natural gifting, but be careful of this, brothers and sisters. I started in ministry, and I could not read publicly out loud. I I was not naturally gifted. The Lord had to help me tremendously do what I do even today. So so don't go too far down that road, but it is important. Maybe you should seek out a godly person to help you discover, what am I naturally gifted? What do you see in me? Do you see something in me? I, I, I really enjoy doing this. This week I sat down with a dear brother and we talked about those things in his life. He asked me, do you, what do you see? And I began to share the things of mercy that I see in his life. Very merciful man. And I watched him and have benefited from him and his mercy. So go to somebody, ask somebody to help you see those things. Five, ask God to help you. And this is the hard one. Ask God to help you see needs and meet them. Are you writing it down? This is a hard one. See, what happens often is, I remember some of our first ministry, a little older widow came up to me and says, Pastor, we need to have a writing campaign to prisoners. I go, okay, you want to start it? She goes, Oh, no, you guys need to do that. <laughs> so you saw the need, but you want me to meet it. Is that what you're telling me? You know, I think that's what happens, right? See needs. Ask God to help you see a need, and then step out in faith and go, I'm going to go meet that. Now, it may not be your gifting. You may fail as you get into the middle of that. You go, you know, I'm not really gifted to this, but I'm going to do this because there's this need. I, I promise you God will give you great joy and he'll bless you for that. But it's difficult. See a need and meet it. See somebody hurting and put your arm around them. Pray with them. I mean, those are simple things, right? How many times have we walked out of this room and there's, there's somebody with their arm around somebody and they're praying for them because they're going through something difficult. They saw the need and they met it. And pretty soon we watch that person starting to develop a desire for biblical counseling. Um, they they want to weep with those who weep and they want to rejoice and they start to, because they saw the need and they just took a minute out of their time and didn't rush because Cracker Barrel was filling up. They said, no, I'm going to stop and I'm going to pray with this person, right? See needs and meet them. Six, the importance of self-examination. Now, this, this is what I'm after here. Is it duty or is it delight? Mmm, I know, it's getting hot, Right? Scott's ranting and raving. The elders are big on spiritual gifts, so I better get going here. Do not do this out of duty. You will have a joyless experience. Legalism always brings joylessness, and it's very frustrating to work with. When you have delight in Jesus and you have delight in things, you'll have joy. And even though he may direct you to some area that needs your particular gifts or your, your particular service, even though it may be even difficult at the time, you'll have joy in it. Because you're not serving out of duty versus delight. Seven, seek, and this, the, some of these overlap a little bit, but seek affirmation from spiritual mature believers that your gift, here, here's the catch here, glorifies God and edifies others. When we get into 13 and 14, Paul's going to use that term over and over. Is it edifying? Is it edifying? And so you may need to ask somebody, look, the word blinders is called blinders because you can't see, right? I have blinders, you know, and all of us elders have some blinders and we need one another, right? That's why plurality really helps, right? And you have a wife and a husband and you have friends, right? Ask them to help you to see that are you glorifying God with your gift or are you, and are you edifying others? Well, you know, 
come on, we got to go. Church is going to start. I got to go do coffee. You know, or whatever, right? Got those brats down the hall. <laughs> That's probably not God glorifying and edifying to their parents. <laughs> you may need someone to say, hey, friend, <laughs> can I help you? Help you examine some of these things. Look, fruitfulness comes when the branch is grafted into the vine. And when we're grafted into Jesus, we'll produce, first we'll produce a, a, a flower, a blossom, and then it'll be a bud, and, and then it'll be fruit, and then it'll be sweet. And so this all comes back to our view of Jesus, right? Lastly, seek to recognize the degree of your giftedness. And again, some of these run together, but I want you to think about this. God may be calling you to minister to children, but it may be to support a teacher and not be the teacher. Could be. Could be you have the gift of teaching, we're going to have you teaching down there or teaching in some kind of discipleship role or, or Bible studies or whatever. But be willing to say, God, help me understand my role within my giftedness. How can I best bring you glory? Well, the Corinth church was full of division because they did not handle these gifts right. They were seeking things that God had given to the apostles, not to them. And because of that, the church was fractured. And that happens over and over in our churches around America. And so, Lord, pray, we pray that the Lord will help us. Father, we thank you for chapter 12. We look forward to chapter 13. Please encourage us with, with just the doctrine of love there. But we thank you that we are able to rightly divide your word and understand the, the abuse of gifting, understand the beauty of gifting and the whole body scenario that's given there. And Lord, you gave us such clear word pictures of a body functioning together, running, and all the members doing its part, Lord, in order to bring you glory and to edify one another, Lord. And Father, I, I know, <laughs> I think I know, Lord, that the majority of the people in this room want that. We want to be a body that reflects you, Jesus. And whether we've got the weight of the church standing on us or we may have a more prominent position, whatever it may be, whatever you have for us, Lord, may it be edifying to those around us. May it bring you glory. Lord, help us pursue that, Lord. I thank you for these dear folks. So it's a wonderful group to teach to. May we all be pursuing our gifts to serve you. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen.